If you haven't taken that first step of obedience, today is a wonderful day. And I've learned this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. How many of you guys have kids and you tell them to do something and you come back 20 minutes later, it's not done. Oh, I was going to get around to it. That's disobedience. You know, and so uh, I want to encourage you guys not to be disobedient children to our father. He's a good father, isn't he? All right. Well, take your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to get into John's gospel again. Our series through the gospel of John. We're about a year and a half into the series. And uh, we're, we're in chapter 8. This morning we're going to be in verses 31 through 36. And the title of the message today is Whom the Son Sets Free. And this is a very familiar, often quoted portion of Scripture. But I want you to look at it with fresh eyes this morning with me. And oftentimes as a preacher, you're in the Word a lot, and you know, you preach a lot of these texts before, and sometimes you go to it with your predetermined, uh, you know, ideas, okay? And oftentimes I have to pray that God will give me fresh eyes. And God, what do you want me to say this time? Because you guys understand that the Word of God is quick and it's power, it's alive. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's sharper than a two-edged sword, the Bible says. And, and um, it's going to hit everybody in here differently today. I, I, it never ceases to amaze me, Phil, you know, how, you know, you preach the same message and then it, God speaks through his spirit to one person completely differently than he did does to another. And uh, just a testament to the word of God and, and, and what it is that we hold. And I hope we don't take it for granted that we still live in a country where we're free to uh, to to meet like this and, and to get in the word together and. And so let's uh, not take that for granted. If you're there in your Bibles this morning, say amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to start reading verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone, how can you say you, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus had preached a very pointed message in the verses preceding the ones we are in today. He had warned those in the crowd who refused to place their faith in Him that they would die in their sin and that where He would be going, where He was heading back to heaven, they would not be welcomed to. And it was a very pointed and powerful message. And the Bible says in verse number 30 that many in that crowd believed on him, believed in his word, and, and they believed that what Jesus was declaring to be true. And after, uh, this took place, Jesus, you know, if we, if that were today's church, you know what we'd do? We'd all just begin to celebrate, right? When these people made a profession of faith, you know, and, and, it's, and, and rightfully so, when someone comes to Christ, you know, there's nothing that excites you know, a true believer more than seeing someone saved. I'm telling you, don't ever get over that. 
When we see this baptism stirred in just a few minutes, you know, uh, from now, don't get over that, that Jesus is still saving souls. That people are going from death to life and that uh, people who are on their way to a Christless hell will now spend eternity in heaven with him. And I want you to know that's something to get excited about. But I want you to understand Jesus uh, had been here a few times already at this point. There were many who professed faith in him. And then soon they would fall off. There were many who would follow him because they saw the miracles or they saw him feed the 5,000. They ate the bread and the loaves and they saw the miraculous deeds that our Savior did. But often when he would preach the very pointed messages of discipleship, as we're going to see in just a moment, they didn't want any part of that. They wanted Jesus without the cross. They wanted heaven without the suffering that might come in this life. They wanted uh, to have cheap a worthless religion rather than a relationship with God. I want you to know, when you come into relationship with Jesus, it's going to cost you something. Oh, I'm learning it more and more as I minister in a church like this, a church that's that's alive and where the Spirit is moving. Oh, my goodness, it's like I can't go anywhere without, you know, just being reminded of the, the spiritual battles. You know, I, I used to be able to walk into a room and, and, uh, you know, just be welcomed by everyone. And now it seems like when I'm at Costco pumping gas, I see someone that used to come to the church who's angry at me because I spoke truth into their lives. Uh, I'm telling you, I can't go into the gym and, and without, you know, you know, being on my P's and Q's and because, you know, I'm going to, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing to, to minister. And even when sometimes, and I'll be honest, I'm going to be completely transparent. Sometimes I just, I don't want to have to, you know, uh, you know, pour into someone. But it, you know, God, you know, it comes with a cost to follow Jesus. And I don't know what the cost is for you. Maybe because you have come to Christ, you, you don't really have your, your biological family on your side. Or I don't know what it costs you when you came to Christ, but I, I'm afraid that today, uh, we've, uh, we've pitched a Christianity to the world that, uh, costs nothing and is, is worth little because there is no sacrifice involved. And I want you to understand that's not the type uh, of Christianity you see in scripture. It, it cost every one of the disciples their lives. And so Jesus hears these, these people in the crowd make a profession of faith in him and, and he's gonna lean in on that. He's gonna lean in. He's not gonna celebrate just yet. Don't, don't pull out the balloons and the confetti just yet. Because time will tell if you truly are disciples. And I just wanna say that, you know what's really scary about the American church is there are so many who profess to know Christ. But their lives are far from what the scriptures say we should be. And I'm not talking about people who, who are genuinely trying to see God but who fall into sin because we all fall into that category. But I'm talking about Christians who are living in lifestyles that are against the Word of God. We're talking about Christians who are in a pattern of living consistently with no conviction about it. This is a scary place to be this morning. And so Jesus wouldn't celebrate just yet because He knew that there were some who professed who weren't truly genuine. And he's going to lean in on this. And he's going to talk about first the true sign of salvation, a sign of salvation. I want you to see it in verse 31. 
Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. I want you to understand that the sign of someone who has truly come to know Christ and has received him as Lord and Savior would be that of discipleship. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you uh, are on the path of discipleship, and I know everyone in here, they're at different stages in maturity spiritually. And I don't expect, you know, new Christians to have it all together. I don't expect seasoned Christians to have it all together. But what Jesus is saying here is if you have placed your faith in him, then you will be on the path of discipleship. You will be on the road of sanctification, becoming more and more resembling him. You know, the church at Antioch, the Bible says in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians there. Why? Because they were resembling Jesus. So it was a derogatory term when they called them little Christians. Uh, they're like that Jesus from Nazareth who was crucified. And, but they were so much like Jesus that they had to call them Christian. Oh, when Peter and John were arrested for preaching in the temple, you know what the religious leaders had to say? We, we know these are ignorant and unlearned men. They're fishermen. They have little education. They're from Galilee. But you know what we know about these men by looking at their lives, by seeing their boldness and their testimony? It is evident that they had been with Jesus. A true sign of salvation is that we are becoming more like Jesus. We're on the road to discipleship. Does our lives reflect that? When I went to seminary, you know, I had the privilege of being with some of the choice young men and women of God. And, and I had two friends in particular who they were on fire for God. And they loved preaching. They loved ministry. And we just, you know, we, we enjoyed just having fun serving the Lord. We'd go and we'd sneak into the big, you know, 3,000-seat auditorium at our school, and we'd preach to the chairs. We'd preach to each other, and, and we just, we had a passion for God. And, um, you know, over time, you know, we, we all finished up our education, and we went into ministry. All of us did. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I stand before you today just, you know, just grieved, honestly, to be frank, because... You know, most of those, those, those two in particular, they, they're not even in church today. One of them, you know, he got, he got in trouble. Um, he was immoral with someone in, in the youth group and the other, he, he's living a life, uh, alternative lifestyle now. And I could keep going on. You know, at seminary, we would fill out this report every week. And on that report, we, we check in that we had, you know, done the Christian, our Christian service, that we would have, uh, done what it would be required for us in our training to, to serve God, to be disciples. And some of the things that we would have to keep track of was, you know, if we went to church, there were three services that we were required to attend. And, and let me tell you, we went to, we went to chapel five days a week. So we were hearing at minimum eight sermons per week. We would serve in ministry, you know, various different places in ministry. We would go evangelize. We'd go knock on doors. And, I mean, every week, if you did not want to get to marriage, you had to uh, make sure that you filled out this report, this Christian service report. And all the things on there, I think, were, were good things. 
But I, I'm, you know, now that time has gone on, I start to think, you know, on the exterior, we can all be going through the motions. We can, we could be in seminary training for ministry. We could be pastoring a church. We could be serving in children's ministry. We could be an usher. We could be all different types of busy for the Lord, but our heart could be far from Him. And time will tell. And our lives will be uh, the, the, the testimony of whether or not we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm still praying for my friends. I believe that we all get off the path and God is able to bring us back. And how many of you are thankful that though you had strayed, that God showed you grace and he brought you back and he cleaned you up. And the Bible says a just man falls seven times and he gets up again. So I'm not condemning anyone. I don't want you to think I'm on my high horse because I'm telling you, I'm only here preaching. But by the grace of God, let me tell you, I don't deserve to be here. I was straying in ministry. I was a pastor sneaking off and, and going and, and getting drunk because I was just uh, just so far from God. I had, a, I, had, I had a form of godliness, but I was denying the power thereof. I was empty, not filled with the Spirit. And God saved me. He came and he, said, he snatched me out of the path that I was going. He brought me back to this desert to water me to fill me with his spirit and he put me in the ministry I remember the day when God just broke me I'm telling you we need to to search our hearts ask God to search our hearts are we truly seeking to be his disciple. That means we're trying to, uh, by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, to, to walk with Him and to let His fruit uh, come in us and, and work out of our lives. And this is what Jesus was leaning in on these those who had professed faith in Him that day. He said, hey, uh, if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, if you, you're walking with me, uh, if ten years from now you are still being faithful to me, then I know that your profession of faith is genuine. I'm telling you, discipleship is very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. It's obedience to the Word of God. If God said it, we should do it. Now, if you're like me, I don't like everything that God says. I don't like to love my enemy. That does not come naturally. I need the fruit of the Spirit in my life to do so. But obedience to God's Word is the sure sign of conversion. Does the Word of God shape our lives? I can tell you there are several indicators in our lives to know if we are disciples. How do we live? What do we do with money? I was thinking about this this week, you know. We're all feeling the crunch of, of inflation and all these things. And and um, I went to, a few weeks ago, I was over visiting Ron at Harley, right? And I walk in there, I try not to look, you know. Like, why can't we meet somewhere else, Ron? But I walk in there and there's this, you know, this gunmetal gray, you know, just ultra glide, fully dressed, you know, just with the blacked out, you know, pipes. And yes, somebody say, <laughs> I love motorcycles. I've been riding for a long time. And, and stupidly, before the, uh, the pandemic, I sold my bike and, and now it's just crazy. Like everything is just. 
I think used cars are 40% more expensive. And so I go in there and I'm just trying not to look, trying not to get to covet, you know, because I don't have the money. And Pastor heard me over talking about it. I was thinking about it and he, he, he quickly said, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm thankful for him, but I was, mm. I, I was trying to pitch him with everything. Oh, I'm going to save gas. You know, I'm going to be a, he was like, the initial investment, you know, Pastor, he has an answer for it all. He said, the initial investment will not be, you won't see the return on that for 23.3 years. <laughs> so every now and then, Dana is great, uh, is really gracious to me, uh, Dana and his wife, and, and I, I hop on his Harley, you know, for an hour or so, or two, a couple hours, and I get it out of my system for a while, you know. But let me tell you, you know, discipleship costs you something, you know, because each month we believe in giving to the Lord first. And I'm telling you, with what we give to the Lord, and I'm not wealthy by any means, but what we give to the Lord, I could easily have that bite. But there would be my God. And I know many Christians who, you know, just for example, that's probably what they they serve more than God. And uh, I can keep going uh, when it comes to sexuality. You know, when you're a disciple, God puts very clear parameters around that. He says only within marriage and only a man and a woman within marriage. And uh, there are Christians who, who, who step outside of that. And we're all, I'm guilty of that before marriage. And I don't, I'm not condemning anyone. But when I became a disciple, I'm talking to a young man who's, you know, he's 19 and he's struggling in this area. And I'm telling him, hey, you got to be strong. I'm telling you, you want to wait on the Lord. Any any woman that you want that isn't willing to honor God first in that area, she isn't for you. And um, or any young man, I want to tell some of you young ladies in here: if you got a boyfriend who's trying to get you to 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 be intimate before marriage, he is not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus, what's ruling him isn't uh, the spirit of God; it's the flesh. And you want to run from that as fast as you can, get as far away from that as as you can, because it'll just take you down a path of guilt, shame, and and just pain. But disciples of Jesus Christ, they operate within the parameters that God sets in in even this most uh, you know part of our lives, the most intimate parts of our lives. And I'm telling you, a disciple of Christ will look different in how they spend their money, how they spend their time, how they uh, operate within marriage. Let me say that. A disciple of Christ will treat his wife a certain type of way. A woman who is a disciple of Christ, she will honor her husband even when he's being a knucklehead. Not perfectly, but she will do her very best by the grace of God. See, discipleship is a life. I'm not in control of this thing. 
I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do, even when I don't feel like it. You know, discipleship, it doesn't always feel good. And we, we shouldn't live uh, enslaved. And I'm going to show you this in just a moment in the text, because the world is enslaved to the passions of the flesh and the desires of their own bodies. And, and they are enslaved to sin. And they aren't free. They, they claim they have freedom to love who they want to love. They claim they have freedom to do what they want to do. But what they really are is they are in bondage to those desires. And we as Christians, Jesus says this, we will be made free. We are free. So one of the sure signs of salvation is discipleship, obedience to God's Word. You see, when we obey God's Word, we grow spiritually. And when we grow spiritually, we grow in freedom from sin. One commentary that I read put it this way, life, which is what we receive the moment we trust in Christ. Life leads to learning. And learning leads to liberty. The more that our lives are yielded to God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit, the more liberty that we will have. You know, many people today have little liberty in their lives. Like I said, they're enslaved to their passions. You know, obedience to God's Word is the next step after we are saved. We must all be serious students of the Word of God. I heard about David Livingstone, and he's, of course, a missionary to Africa in the 1800s. And he began his journey. He was carrying 73 books with him. They weighed a total of 180 pounds. After he had gone about 300 miles, he had thrown away some of the books because it wasn't feasible for him to carry those books through the jungle. He continued throwing away books as he went further and further into the jungle. Eventually, his library had shrunk to one book, the Bible. The Bible. I'm going to tell you, this word is all that we need to, to live godly in this godless generation. The Bible is clear. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine. That's what we believe about God. For reproof. That's when we are wrong. For correction. That's how to get it right. For instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep it right. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. You know, you're as mature as you want to be this morning. You're as close to God as you desire. And I'm thankful that when God got a hold of my heart, he gave me a desire to get in the Word, to, 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 to eat His Word. Like Job said, it is my necessary food. The Word of God, I'm telling you, my spirit begins to shrivel up when I don't get in this book and I, I, I just, I lose my way when I'm not in the Word of God. I'm telling you, some of you, you've got to have a revival in your life of the spiritual discipline of reading the Word of God and not only reading it, but living it. Jesus leans in on this. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. A lot of Christians don't know the truth. Because I've learned this. When you obey the truth, God reveals more. He gives you more insight. He gives you more wisdom. What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? You're not even on the road of understanding biblical knowledge, God's way, wisdom, until you fear the Lord and you begin to seek Him as such. And, and I'm telling you, the more that I submit my life to Him, the more He 
He shows me the more discernment that I receive from Him. And I'm telling you, so many Christians, they don't know what to do. They have trouble making big decisions and they have, uh, you know, so much by the way of, of confusion in their lives and, and anxiety. And I promise you, a person who is in the Word of God, who is living up the Word of God, they don't experience that to nearly the degree as those who, you know, you, you'll get to it when you get to it. The average Christian reads their Bible an average of two to three times a week. I'm just going to tell you, in days like this, that's not going to cut it. When you're in the battle, you need to know the orders. And I want you to understand we're all in the battle. And a faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. And this is what Jesus is leaning in on these people and saying, you shall know the truth, verse 32, and the truth will make you free. Freedom comes in submission to God and His Word and obedience and discipleship. I want you to understand that this morning. But I want to see Jesus goes on. He begins to contrast the difference between a slave and a son. Look at verse 33. So Jesus says this to the crowd, and there are those in the crowd who did not believe. And this is when I believe Jesus shifts to talk to these individuals. I think He said what He had to say to those who did believe. In verses 31 and 32, but now he's going to shift to the unbelievers in the group. And they answered him. They're very prideful. I want you to see this. It says, we are Abraham's descendants. And we have never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say you will be made free? Now, there's a lot wrong with that statement. (laughs) These people were enslaved and they didn't even know it. At the very moment that they spoke, they were literally under the power of Rome, weren't they? And and there are several other times in the history of Israel where the kingdoms were under uh, tribute to other nations. You see, they said to Jesus, what they said to God was a complete lie that they had never been in bondage. But honestly, there had been several times in their history and it always had been the result of sin. You see, Israel wanted to be like the world around them. And many Christians today, you want to be, you want to fit into this world. But my Bible still says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be ye holy as I am holy. Because I'm telling you, when you go and you want to be like the world, you end up uh, being enslaved to the same things that the world serves. I want you to understand that the world, they serve a master. We know the God, little g, of this world has set up a kingdom and a, and a system, a world system here. And more so than ever, I know this as I am seeing things play out around the world that seem to be in concert. And, it, and it's just more evidence to the truth of the word of God that there is a, a prince and power of the air. And the direction that the world is going is towards uh, him and not towards God. You see, this nation is in trouble because we've turned our back on the one true living God. And now we're seeing the fruit of it. You take the Bible out of school, then goes in shooters. You take prayer out of schools, then goes in the drama. I'm telling you, we're seeing it play out in our nation. And we got to wake up. These people, were bl- they're blind to their own bondage. And Jesus is going to lean in on that. They're saying we're Abraham's descendant. They, they were proud because they were from Abraham. And um, they said they, we've never been in bondage. And 
How can you say that you will be made free? And the truth is, at that very moment, these religious people, they were in bondage to sin. And as Jesus had mentioned a few verses before, that they would not only remain there now, but they, if they rejected Him, they would die in their sins and forever be separated from God. These are, they were slaves and they didn't know it. How many of you guys know people who are slaves to the job? They're enslaved to the substance. They're enslaved. We all know them. And they don't realize it. They don't realize it. They're blind to their bondage. And Jesus is leaning in on that. But I want you to see not only were they blind to their bondage, but as we mentioned, they, they, they didn't even realize at that very moment that they were enslaved. Jesus said this to them. Look at verse 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, Jesus is being very you know, frank with these people. You see, they had religion, but they didn't have relationship. And these were those who, they were so pride-filled that they would not receive what Jesus was saying. And, and, and they were caught in the grips of pride. And I've learned this. You confront a proud man about his sin. He's not going to... I'm going to be careful how I say that they, they rarely humble themselves. They usually say, you're the problem. Like I, like I mentioned, I was being transparent earlier. You know, just how I feel sometimes, just, you know, leaning in on people and in love. And, and I've learned a lot pastoring here in the last few years. And, and um, you know, I didn't, you know, before I never really would confront people, you know. But I've learned this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'd rather you not like me and, and see your marriage saved. I'd rather you thrive spiritually and, and, and <laughs> then you be buddy-buddy with me. I, and I, I had to really come to this conclusion because I, I, I'm a people pleaser at times. And, and I had to come to this conclusion like, uh, people are going to not like you. And that's okay. But their problem isn't with me. It's with God. It's with the Word of God. And... um not saying we always get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. We have to go back and apologize to people and make things right. And none of us do things perfectly. But I'm telling you this. Um, Jesus is perfect. <laughs> He's telling these people, uh, hey, you're in bondage. You're a slave to sin right now, this very moment. And they said, what? We've never been in bondage. And, and we're Abraham's descendants. And they were, they were all uh, charged up. Uh, because of their lineage and they thought that that would, would stand in the day of judgment and I'm telling you it didn't. And it won't. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're trusting in the fact that you come to this, this church or you've been, you know, you, you have religion but you don't truly have a relationship with God, I'm going to tell you it's not going to stand in the day of judgment. God is going to lean in on that. He's going to say to those who say, Lord, Lord, depart from me. I know you not. I don't know you. You say you know me. You profess to know me, but I don't know you. And it's a scary thing. And these people, they were in in the, the hot seat at this time, and they didn't humble themselves. They doubled down. And Jesus said, you guys are committing sin, 
and you're a slave to it. So a, a slave is, bl- is blinded to their own bondage and they are enslaved to sin. That should never be said of us, guys. You know what? I've learned this and I've seen people on the other side of that who, when they're confronted, they repent. They get right with God. They are restored and they get stronger from that experience. And this is what I pray for in my life and in, in every one of your life. Because what I shared with you earlier, I was, I was in sin. And God showed me grace. And He brought me out of it. And He restored me. And, and He, He gave me another opportunity to serve Him. And I'm telling you, if you're in sin this morning, if you're a Christian and you've been in a, a pattern of sin in your life and you've just been feeling like you are in bondage to it, well, you can come to this altar this morning and you can confess it and forsake it. And leave it there and never return to it and be stronger for it. And you will have the joy of the Lord once again. You will have the freedom to pursue God. You know what's probably many people's problem when it comes to discipleship is because they are, they're seemingly in, they have the stronghold of sin in their life that they're coddling. They don't have the desire to seek God. They are, they are too shameful to go to God in their sin. And I'm telling you, this is what is, this is why we always preach repentance from this pulpit because we know from experience that repentance is the way to get back in fellowship with God. I'm telling you, it isn't worth it. Whatever it is that you're holding on today, it isn't worth it rather than to have fellowship with God. I'm telling you, there's nothing sweeter than fellowship with Jesus. Oh my goodness, I'm telling you, I'm just, there's nothing that fulfills you. There's nothing that satisfies you like Jesus. And I want you to understand what Jesus was saying to those there when he says you will know the truth. He was saying you will know me because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm telling you, he was saying to them, oh, if you say no to sin and you come to me, you get me. I'm telling you, he's the treasure. He's all that we could ever need. He is more than anything that we could comprehend. Oh, I'm so thankful for it to be true. My little girl Symphony, she um she went to bed the other night and <laughs> and she uh she told us this yesterday, this testimony. She said, Before I went to bed she said, Daddy, can I tell you something? I said, Sure. And she's like, I had a dream last night. And I saw Jesus. And I saw him, it was, a, it was a big staircase, and I saw him high and lifted up on the stairs, and I saw the angels down there. And he said to me, Daddy, I am the Lord your God. And she had this big smile on her face, and she was telling everybody, I saw Jesus last night. I prayed before I went to bed that God would show me, would show himself to me. And I truly believe she met, she saw Jesus. And I'm telling you, she had a joy about her that day that was unusual. She, I'm just telling you. Normally she's melancholy. She's finding reasons to cry. But that wasn't the case yesterday. And I'm telling you, maybe some of you in here this morning, you need to come to this altar and you need to say to Jesus, show me your glory again, God. Bring me back to when I was first saved. Restore the joy of my salvation so I can walk out of here and the joy of the Lord once again will be my strength. I'm telling you, that's what some of us need this morning. A slave or a son. Jesus goes on and he describes what a son, what a, what a child of God is like. And he says in verse 35, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. 
You see, the time is, is ticking for those who are Jesus is speaking to at this time. They're in the temple. They're, they're, they're so close to God, but so far away. And the time is ticking and where they will have a window of opportunity, as we learned the last time, that there's a window of opportunity for someone to come to Christ. And then that window, when it closes, it does not open again. It's a solemn, sobering thing. I know this to be true. But Jesus says the Son, He abides. The Son abides forever. Now this, I believe, has two meanings. Number one, when someone is in Christ, they receive everlasting life. Everlasting life. The moment that you place your faith in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you receive eternal life. And you will abide with Him forever. But I also believe this is talking about perseverance. That someone who has been transformed, someone who is a new creature in Christ, you they may stray for a while, but they're going to come back. They're going to abide with God. They're going to be in relationship with God for their lives. And the Bible does say somewhere uh, that those who persevere to the end. Now, I'm not saying salvation is dependent upon our performance. I want you to understand that. We work out our salvation. We work from a position of being accepted. We don't work to be accepted. I'm so thankful for that because I would fall short and you would every day of the week, 365, 24-7. Aren't you thankful for His grace? But I'm telling you, if, if any man be in Christ, what does the Bible say? He's a new creature, new creation. And you're going to come back. You're, gonna, you're not going to remain away from your Savior. You will abide forever. But I want you to see, Jesus goes on and He says in verse 36, it's a wonderful verse, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, so therefore, if you are in Christ, if you are a son of God, a daughter of God, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Someone who is in Christ will experience true freedom. They will live in that reality. This is what Jesus was talking about when he told the woman at the well, you know, if you drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. You won't need to go to relationship to relationship to try to find fulfillment, identity, acceptance. You will have it in me. This is what Jesus meant when he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water and there's a fountain that will flow from us. Uh, and I'm telling you, many Christians, we don't live there. We, we don't experience that at nearly to the degree that we could. And it's because we are on that road to discipleship. I'm telling you, we've got to Get serious about following Christ. I'm telling you, no man has given up anything for Christ that he does not get a hundredfold in this life and in the next. I want to promise you this. More than a Harley can give me. I've never been, like, I've never been to the point of tears when I'm on a Harley. <laughs> I've never had joy flowing out of me because I'm just on a Harley, you know? Because eventually the Harley will get scratched. We were riding the, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, we pulled up. We went over to the Wrightwood, and a and, um, beautiful day. And I go to put the bike down, and I forget to put down the kickstand. But thankfully, he had roll bars. 
didn't scratch it. That thing is heavy. I couldn't lift it up, you know. <laughs> he had to come help me. I'm telling you, the new car will get dented. The new house will get, <laughs> you know, something will break. I'm just telling you, all the things that we think is going to fulfill us will never fulfill us. But only Jesus, he, only Jesus, no one can compare to Jesus. No thing can compare to Jesus. And I want you to leave here today and understand that if you have Jesus in your heart, you have the treasure of the universe. You have everything that you need wrapped in him. You have true freedom available to you as you yield your life to him. I'm telling you this morning, he's all you need. And when you get to the point where you realize that, then you will have true freedom. If you need Christ this morning... We want to urge you to believe on Him. You see, Jesus, He went to the cross for your sin and for mine. He shed His perfect blood as a sacrifice for our sin. And He rose from the grave three days later to prove that He is very God and that He can and He will save any who call out to Him. And if you've never done that this morning, it's a great day to do that.